you were a young kid in a big family. You had a pretty hot temper. With some discipline, you were able to minimize it. So much so that you were able to have a career in the NFL. You enjoy your job, but when it's time to retire, you go home, but you still go to visit your mother. You live in a good area and she lives in a bad area. You desperately try to get her to move, but she's so attached to her hometown that she just can't. But little do you know, your mother choosing to stay in this neighborhood will lead to dire consequences. Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. Please check out our episode description. You can find all of the links to my TikTok and Instagram, as well as my podcast if you're watching on YouTube. You can also find my email in the episode description for any business inquiries. Today, we are going to be talking about the case of Kermit Alexander's family and how they were brutally murdered. Going over the research for this case, I cried a few times because this is one of the saddest cases I've ever covered. So if I get emotional in this video, I just want to apologize in advance because it's pretty heartbreaking. But with that, let's get right into the case. First, we're gonna begin with Kermit Alexander. Kermit Joseph Alexander Jr. was born on January 4th, 1941 in New Iberia, Louisiana. His parents' names were Kermit Sr. and Ebora Alexander. Kermit was the oldest of 11 siblings. So it was a very big family full of a lot of love. They were pretty close and I can only imagine how fun that probably was to have all of those siblings. I'm sure it had its moments, but for the most part, it was probably pretty fun. Growing up, Kermit absolutely loved baseball, but he started to turn his attention more to football. And this had a lot to do with the fact that Kermit had a little bit of an anger issue. When he saw people playing football, he saw that they got to tackle each other and hit each other. And he's like, this is the perfect way for me to get out my aggression. So he started playing football. Kermit would often get in trouble for his hot temper at a pretty young age and he would act out at the games, oftentimes getting into it with his teammates, other players, and even his coaches. And his mother, Ebora, did not play that. Eventually, she started to discipline him a lot to the point where his temper smoothed out the older he got. And eventually, he was able to smooth his temper out so much so that he was recruited to play at UCLA. Upon attending UCLA, he was drafted to play for the San Francisco 49ers in 1963. He played with them until 1969, until he joined the Los Angeles Rams in 1970. And then he played with the Eagles in 1973 for his final season. Now let's talk about Kermit's mother, Ebora Alexander. She was born on April 5th, 1925 in Louisiana. And as I said, she married Kermit's father, Kermit Sr. And together they had 11 children. Now Ebora was only 16 when she got married and had her first child. And one of her children was named Dietra. Dietra was her youngest daughter. Dietra Louise Alexander was born on August 15th, 1960. As I said, they started out in Louisiana, which is where Kermit was born. He was the oldest, but eventually they decided to relocate to LA, specifically South Central LA in the Watts neighborhood. Now, if you don't know what Watts is, Watts is a pretty well-known neighborhood in LA, specifically South Central LA. And it's known for being very close to the early 90s LA riots that started because of the Rodney King incident, which I do plan on doing a video on. This neighborhood was pretty dangerous and it only got worse over time. That was in the early 90s of when the riots occurred, but there were also other riots that occurred in LA and this was in 1965, which is more so the time period that I'm speaking about. By the time Ebora and Kermit Sr. moved to Watts, the 1965 riots hadn't occurred yet, but 
the tension in the neighborhood was building, which resulted in the 1965 riots. And that's around the time that they moved there. Safety was a pretty big concern for the Alexander family because of the area they lived in. But unfortunately, they really couldn't afford to live anywhere else. I mean, when you have 11 mouths to feed, it can be very hard. And for them, money was tight. But Ibora and Kermit did what they could to make sure their children had a structured upbringing. Ibora did not play when it came to the structure and the behavior of her children because of the area that they lived in. So she had to be much tougher on them. They went to parochial school. The girls weren't allowed to date until they were 18 and their weekends consisted of family time. Friday night, they would go watch Kermit play football. And on Saturday night, they would go to church. So there was not a whole lot of time to get involved into anything that may have been mischievous. Ibora also worked at St. Vincent's Hospital so she could help support her family. But she didn't just support her children. She would support other people's children too, because that's just the kind of person she was. Ibora would make sure that other children were okay and they were fed. She saw them around and she knew that their family struggled. She would take them in, give them dinner, make sure they were okay, because she absolutely loved helping other people. This was a big value that she instilled in her children, specifically Kermit, because he was the oldest. She really wanted that to be a value that Kermit emitted. And he did, he was the same way. Eventually, Abora and Kermit Sr. ended up unfortunately divorcing. However, the children by this point were pretty much old enough and they had moved away. They were just continuing on with their lives, even having children of their own. Ibora continued to live in Watts while Kermit was playing in the NFL. But after the 1965 riots had occurred, the neighborhood had gone downhill even more and danger and violence was more of a prevalent thing as time went on. There were constant gunshots, there was constant violence. It was getting very bad in the neighborhood. Ibora's children were constantly pushing her to move out. They wanted her to go to a different neighborhood. By this point, all of them had moved away from Watts because it was just too dangerous for them to stay. And they wanted their mother to do the same. But Ibora refused. She was very attached to Watts. She wanted to help out her community and do what she could to make it better. So she wasn't going anywhere. Kermit felt the same way. I mean, he wanted to help his community out too even though he didn't live there. Once he got drafted to play with the LA Rams in the early 70s, he was finally back in LA. Now, as I said, he didn't live in South Central because it was just way too dangerous, but he was close enough to be able to visit his mother and even visit the neighborhood and just help out and see what he could do to better the community that he grew up in. So Kermit decided to found a Pop Warner Football League in order to keep youths off the streets and just give them another outlet to channel their energy in besides going into gangs and committing crimes because they just didn't have anything else to do. And a lot of kids signed up. He would show up to their games in order to be consistent for them and he would even take them to some of his NFL games. So that way he could show them what it would be like if they continued to play football and stayed out of the streets and on the straight and narrow. Kermit would go to the games and look at the children and make sure they were behaving. He would check out their skill. He really did what he could to be there for them. While he was at one of the games, he saw a kid on another team and he said, wow, this kid is amazing, but he has a horrible temper, just like he did. Kermit really saw himself in this little boy because he had the skill, he had the talent, but he had a temper. He was going off on his coaches. He was getting into it with other players, even getting into it with his own teammates. And Kermit was like, God, this kid seems so familiar because this is exactly how I was. And this kid's name was Taekwon Cox. Taekwon Andre Cox was born on December 1st, 1965 in Los Angeles, California. He had one brother and one sister, and growing up, they went through a lot. Taekwon's mother was an alcoholic, and she was also a convicted bank robber, while his father was relatively absent, but when he was around, he was very abusive. Eventually, 
Taekwon and his siblings got sent to live with their great grandmother, who was actually a pretty successful actress. So she was really wealthy. She had multiple houses. As Taekwon began living with his great grandmother, he was doing really well. He was getting involved in school more. He joined the Boy Scouts. He started playing sports, including basketball and track. Now, Taekwon wasn't the best academically. He really struggled with school as far as reading and writing. However, he was really good at sports and he tried to channel his energy into that as much as he could. When Taekwon was around eight years old, that was when he decided to join the Pop Warner Football League. Now jumping back to when he was in the Pop Warner Football League and Kermit saw him for the first time, Taekwon was acting up on the field. He got into it with his coach, he got into it with another player, and eventually he got escorted off the field because they just couldn't continue playing him because he was just acting so bad. Kermit was in the stands and he says to everybody, someone needs to help that kid. I mean, he has so much talent, but his temper is horrible. And everybody agreed with him and you know, it was like a collective, yeah, you're right you know but nobody actually did anything everyone just stayed in the stands watched taekwon be bad and went on about their day including kermit kermit didn't do anything and this was a decision that he would later come to regret 10 years later, by 1984, Kermit had retired from the NFL. And while his mother was living in South Central, she also had Deetra, her youngest daughter that I mentioned earlier, as well as one of her sons named Neil, living with her in their childhood home in Watts. So now two of Kermit's siblings are back home living with their mother in Watts. So even though Kermit wasn't living in South Central, he was still able to visit his mother on occasion and he would go visit her every Friday morning and they would have coffee and just talk with one another. This was their quality time, which can I just say is so wholesome. I absolutely love that. The fact that he made the time to go see her every Friday. Now let's talk about how Taekwon was doing 10 years later. Unfortunately, Taekwon did not stay on the straight and narrow. When he was 13 years old, he ended up running away from his great grandmother's house because he just felt like he was too restricted and he wanted more freedom. Eventually he got out of the Boy Scouts, he stopped playing sports and he ended up on the streets. And it was there that he decided to join the rolling 60s faction of the LA Crips. And if you don't know who the Crips are, they're a very infamous gang in LA, arguably one of the most well-known gangs. And when Taekwon joined the Crips, he became known as Lil Fee which I'll be referring to him as Lil Fee for the remainder of the episode. Lil Fee became a very well-known criminal in the area and people knew him as a pretty dangerous guy. So for him to go from this little eight-year-old in Pop Warner to being one of the most well-known criminals in the neighborhood just goes to show how far he had fallen. In 1984, by the time Lil Fee was 18, he had just been released from juvie after serving two and a half years for crashing a car that he had stolen. Unfortunately, this is what happened to Lil Fee because nobody intervened when he was young as they did with Kermit. I mean, Kermit turned out really well because somebody intervened with his temper very young, but Lil Fee did not get this, unfortunately. Now I have a video very similar to Lil Fee's story on Yummy Sandifer, who was another very, very young gang member. You can go ahead and watch that. People really, really liked it. So I suggest that you watch that video after you watch this one. As I said, Lil Fee was known around town as being a very well-known criminal and he did whatever he could to defend his gang. He was very down for his gang members and he did not care what it was, he was going to defend them no matter what. And oftentimes people would call on him and recruit him to commit crimes for them. And one of these people was a bar owner in South Central. And in August of 1984, this bar owner desperately needed to make a lawsuit go away that had been filed against him and his bar after a girl was left paralyzed after a fight that occurred there. This girl's family decided to file a $2 million lawsuit against the bar. And the bar owner knew that this would ruin him financially. So he wanted to make it go away. 
And the best way he knew how to do that was to end up killing the girl and her family. And he called on Lil Fee and some of his gang members to get this done. So the bar owner gives Lil Fee and his accomplices the address in order to carry out the hit. This address was actually right next to where Kermit Alexander's family lived, his mother, his sister, and his brother. Now around this time in August of 1984, the Summer Olympics were actually occurring in LA at the LA Coliseum. And it was a family thing for them to collect Olympic pins near the Coliseum. And Ebora really wanted her grandchildren to be a part of this. So she invited three of them to come along. She invited her grandsons, Damon, who was eight years old, Damani, who was 13, and Ivan, who was 14. Damon and Ivan were brothers, so just wanted to make that known. On August 29th, Kermit decided to visit his family because his nephews were there and he wanted to talk to them, he wanted to get to see them and just hang out. Everybody was having a great family time and Ibora loved having her grandchildren over. She loved having kids back in the house again and she just enjoyed spending time with her family and she loved when they visited. Now Kermit couldn't stay long because he did have a business meeting to attend, but he just wanted to stop by and say hello to everybody. When he went to leave, his mother walked him out. But for some reason, Kermit couldn't leave and he didn't know why. And his mother kept asking him, are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I can't leave. And his mom's like, it's okay. Like we're fine. Go to your business meeting. You know, we'll see you later. So Kermit gets in his car. He drives away, gets up the block, but then he turns around and comes back. And his mom's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know, I just can't leave. And she's like, go ahead, son, everything's fine. So Kermit goes up the road, gets about 10 blocks away before he turns back around and comes back to his mother's house. And Kermit said that there was just something inside him where he just could not leave. But finally, his mother reassures him one more time that everything's fine. So Kermit drives away and his mother is in the rearview mirror standing on the porch. And that's the last time he sees her alive. Two days later on the morning of August 31st, around 5 a.m., Ebora gets up and gets ready for her day. It was a Friday, which means it was her and Kermit's time together. And they were gonna drink coffee, sit in the kitchen and hang out with one another. So Ebora immediately starts the coffee and she's preparing for Kermit's arrival. She also decides to open the door, just leaving the screen door closed because it was hot. Like I said, it was August. And as Ebora's in the kitchen, just preparing for the day, she hears her front door open and she's excited that Kermit has arrived. Now he was a little bit late, but Abora didn't care. She was just glad that he had come. As he comes into the kitchen, Abora realizes that it isn't Kermit. It was an intruder holding a rifle. And immediately, this intruder shot Ebora three times in the head and she fell on the ground. The intruder then heads to the next room over where Damon and Damani are sleeping. Damani had woken up to the sound of the three gunshots and he immediately crawled out of bed and tried to go under the bed in order to hide. But unfortunately, the gunman saw this and he shot him too. Damon never woke up. He was sound asleep through this entire thing. And the intruder shot him as well while he still laid in bed. The gunman then went to the next room where Dietra was sleeping and he shot her as well. Neil, Dietra's brother, Abora's son, who was also living there, heard these gunshots. He decided to go straight to Dietra's room to help. And it was there that he saw the intruder with the rifle. He immediately jumps on the intruder's back and tries to wrestle him and a struggle ensues. But Neil was actually getting the best of the intruder. Now there was also another intruder in the house who was serving as the lookout. And when he saw Neil and the initial intruder wrestling for the gun, he decided to run. He said, forget this, I'm out of here. And he 
ran to a getaway van that was waiting for them along with their getaway driver. Eventually the intruder knew he wasn't gonna get the best of Neil, so he decided to run out of the house, but not before punching Neil in the face. Now there was another grandson who was there, 14 year old Ivan, but he hid in a closet during this entire ordeal. So luckily he was able to survive. After the intruders left, Neil immediately ran out of the house to go find a phone to call Kermit and tell him what had happened. And then he decides to call 911. When Kermit arrives at his mother's house, he sees that it's already sectioned off and other family members were starting to come too. And it was at that point that they were all taken to the police station so they could be questioned and they could find out more information. And it was there that Kermit was faced with the horrible task of identifying the bodies of his mother, Ibora, who was 58, his sister Deetra, who was 24, and his two nephews, Damon, who was eight, and Damani, who was 13. And he had to tell his siblings that their sister, their nephews, their sons, and their beloved mother were dead. They had all passed away from their injuries. Los Angeles police say the mother, sister, and two nephews of former National Football League star Kermit Alexander were shot dead in their home today. Witnesses said that two gunmen walked in the family bungalow and opened fire. They didn't say anything, said a 13-year-old boy who escaped by hiding in a closet. He said they just came in shooting. Alexander was a star halfback at UCLA, then played for San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Philadelphia in an 11-year professional career. In the beginning of this video, I said that this is one of the saddest cases I think I've ever covered. They were there all so innocently. And if you have a big family or if you have family, you understand what it's like going to your grandparents' house and getting to hang out with your cousins and seeing your aunts and your uncles. It's always such a fun time. And I know when I have those moments, I still have those moments. It's a really good time to have that family bonding. So to go there and be taken in such a horrible way is something that I just can't even imagine for their family that's still left. And my heart breaks, especially for Ebora because she loved that neighborhood and she could have left, but she didn't want to. She wanted to do what she could to make it better. And the fact that this is what happened to her, she's just so undeserving of something like this. Now, Kermit was actually supposed to be there that morning, but he had overslept and he was running late to his mother's house. To this day, he says that had he been there, he feels like he would have been able to save her life. Sometime in the next few days, it'll, it'll really hit me and I'll try to, to uh, figure out why, even though it's impossible. Funerals for all four victims were held on September 7th, 1984, one week after their tragic deaths at the Holy Cross Cemetery. 800 people attended the funeral in order to pay their respects because like I said, Abora was very well known and she was known around the community as being such a helpful, kind and generous person and people couldn't believe that somebody would come into her home and hurt her and her family the way that they did. This tragedy absolutely rocked the community to its core. After the tragedies, Kermit was absolutely distraught and he began thinking about why he couldn't leave his mother's house two days before she had passed away and the last time he saw her. He now realizes it's because he had a feeling that something was going to happen to her and that's why he kept circling the block and coming back. Kermit spent weeks every night roaming the streets, desperately trying to find who killed his family. Eventually he got word that the rolling 60s Crips were responsible for his family's deaths. And he immediately bought a gun and he decided that he was going to go find them. He was gonna sacrifice his life if it meant avenging his family's deaths. Whether he spent his life in prison or he got killed by one of them, he did not care. He was going to get all of them if it was the last thing he did. But Kermit wasn't able to find them. They were hiding out 
he heard that the Crips were bragging about killing his family, specifically his mother. So he was ready to get them all. A few weeks later, Kermit got word from a juvie probation officer that he actually knew growing up in the neighborhood, saying that a kid had been arrested for possessing a high-powered weapon. And this kid belonged to the Rolling 60s Crips. This high-powered weapon actually matched the same caliber of the weapon that was used to kill Kermit's family, a 30 caliber carbine. But the kid told police that the gun wasn't his. He said, I'm holding it for somebody. And when they asked him who he was holding it for, he named 18-year-old Tyquan Cox, otherwise known as Lil Fee. Remember him? The little kid from Pop Warner that Kermit said he should have intervened and helped, otherwise something was gonna happen to him. And now he was potentially responsible for the murders of his mother, his sister, and his two nephews. Police investigated Lil Fee and they found that he was already in jail for drug possession. But after swabbing Ibora's home for fingerprints, they found Lil Fee's fingerprints on a red trunk in Dietra's room that he had fallen on during his struggle with Neil. This was enough for them to formally charge him with four counts of capital murder. So I'm sure you're wondering, why did this happen in the first place? How did Lil Fee end up killing Kermit Alexander's family? Well, remember the hit that he was asked to carry out against the lawsuit filers for this bar owner? And remember how I said that they lived right next door to Ibora Alexander, Kermit's mother? Yeah, turns out Lil Fee ended up going to the wrong house. He got the addresses mixed up and went to Kermit's mother's house instead of the home of the original targets. But Lil Fee didn't know what the targets looked like. So he didn't know that he had killed the wrong people and the bar owner wasn't there to show him who they were. He just gave them the address. Eventually Lil Fee took the money that he got from carrying out the hit. He bought a yellow 1975 Cadillac convertible and he put a down payment down on another car. So he's just spending this money like nobody's business. He was going around bragging about what he did, clearly he had no remorse whatsoever. On February 19th, 1986, two years after the murders, and after an eight-week trial, Lil Fee was convicted of four counts of capital murder, and he was sentenced to death. One of his accomplices was also sentenced to death, while another accomplice was sentenced to life with parole. Thank goodness justice was served in this case, but it's never gonna bring back the victims. As of today, Lil Fee is 57 years old and he's currently on death row at San Quentin State Prison in California. And he has yet to be executed. Kermit has actually gone on to apologize to Lil Fee, which is really strange, I know but I do understand why he did it. He felt indirectly responsible for what happened to his family because he didn't step in and help Lil Fee when he needed him the most. Because like I said, Kermit saw a lot of himself in him and he figured that if anybody could get through to him and prevent him from going into a life of crime, it was him, but he didn't do anything. Now, despite this very unconventional apology, Kermit has gone on to sue the state of California based on the fact that Lil Fee still has not been executed. In fact, no one's been executed in California since 2006, yet over 700 people sit on death row. Now, this has a lot to do with the fact that people are constantly filing appeals or they're trying to get new sentences. There's all kinds of litigation tied up that's making it hard for people to get executed. But Kermit said that this is a part of the justice system and he feels that justice has not been served. Not to mention, if you're on death row, you tend to get treated a little bit better than people who have life sentences. And this is because they know that they're going to die. They usually end up getting special treatment. They get better meals, better housing, better privileges. It's a whole thing. Kermit doesn't like the fact that Lil Fee's just chilling on death row when he lost his entire family. In 2015, Kermit wrote a memoir called The Valley of the Shadow of Death, 
a tale of tragedy and redemption. And he details his life before and after the tragic murders of his family and how it's affected him forever. The mother of Damon, the youngest victim who was only eight years old, has since gone on to recount some very interesting behavior that Damon was displaying right before he was killed. According to her, she said he would just look at her and cry. He would beg to sleep in her bed, something that he had never done before. And he would even ask her to read him the Bible. And then he would just randomly talk about how heaven is such a beautiful place. And his mother, Kermit's sister, was absolutely terrified. But since his murder, she now believes that he was having premonitions of what was going to happen to him. Abora will be remembered as such a helpful and kind spirit she did everything she could to raise her children to the best of her ability and instill those same values in them of what it means to be an active member of your community. Dietra was so young and she had so much life left to live. And when you're 24 years old, that's when you really start to get into life, you're gaining more independence, but unfortunately all of that was taken from her. Damon and Damani, the two youngest victims, they were at such a fun age for people to not even see what they could have turned into as adults. And it's just heartbreaking to know that all of that was just snatched away from everybody so unjustly and so unfairly. This case makes me so mad, but I am glad that Lil Fee was convicted and justice was served. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and I hope to see you in the water soon.